and when you limit creativity and collaboration, you limit one's ability to solve problems dynamically. And in an environment such as cybersecurity, that is a non-negotiable. You need to be able to solve dynamic problems in a dynamic way. Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of the Behave podcast. Uh, my name is Munyahoto. I'm the VP of Marketing here at CyberSafe. Today, we're in for a real treat, folks. I am joined by Dr. Daniel Shaw and Mr. Zach Broomfield, uh, who are the co-founding team at Multi-Team Solutions. Uh, Daniel, uh, Zach, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Thanks. Happy to be here. Gents, I would like to start by just getting a little bit of a flavor of what is Multi-Team Solutions and how do two you know, genuinely impressive people end up coming together and forming such a business? And what is the journey you know, behind all of that? Where did your careers start and how do you end up kind of sitting here today with me. So perhaps I'll start with you, Dr. Daniel. The the journey into cybersecurity and and the coaching and training that, that we do, uh, for me, started with an interest in psychology and listening to people and understanding them and helping them through, you know, their challenges and to make decisions. Um, as I as I dove deeper into psychology in my first degree um, as an undergrad, uh, I started to think about, oh, what if I could help more than one person at a time and thinking about teamwork and team dynamics. And I, I came into organizational psychology, uh, which really focuses on all of the things you think of for psychology, of supporting people, helping people through those challenges and listening to them, um, but in a workplace setting, uh, which I found you know, to, be, to be really relevant to what I wanted to achieve as, a, as an individual, uh, which was helping people. And it turns out most people spend a third of their day at work. Um, so for the, you know, the third of the day that they spend in their life and the third they spend sleeping, uh, I'm, I'm helping them equally, uh, you know, in the ways that I wanted to, but in a work context and in particular thinking about those teamwork dynamics. I started to pursue programs in that. I, I landed on a PhD in workplace psychology at George Mason University uh, in Virginia, right outside Washington, D.C. So there was already like a, a government flavor to some of the work that I was uh, looking at anticipating being a part of. And when I came into that program a, a year uh, after being in it, my uh, faculty at the time procured a contract with the U.S. government to study cybersecurity teamwork. And it was the, the U.S. government, Homeland Security, looking to understand better what are the barriers to collaboration, uh, not just within a team, but between teams and within ecosystems in cybersecurity. Um, and so I was one of a large research team. Uh, we ended up teaming up with the Dutch government uh, and the Swedish government. And so it really became a, a global project and ultimately the largest social behavioral study of InfoSec teams. Ultimately, five years down the road, we completed the project. We delivered to Homeland Security a 300-page handbook for managers on how to not only assess, but also in, improve and strengthen collaboration in cybersecurity and that was kind of the end of it. Uh, there was there was almost a, all the noise stopped. And I was sitting there with, you know, reading this work that we had published and talking to my team members and saying, we got to keep this work going. We have to keep it moving forward. Like we have an expertise in social behavioral science that can support the human side of cybersecurity. And it really felt like there were very few people outside of our research team that were doing that work. And to me, that was a light bulb moment to say, all right, this is this is important and it's valuable and we, we want to help the good guys. We want to protect these infrastructures. How can we keep doing that? 
And so I continued to socialize the work, to bring it to conferences, to bring it to back to some of the government teams that we had originally uh, done the interviews, focus groups, and research with. And thankfully, uh, at a pretty critical inflection point, I met Zach. Zach brought in this energy, he'll talk more about it, but around curriculum design and personal and professional performance coaching. And I felt like it was, at that point, it was just me continuing the, the research and the development of, of the training. And Zach came on board and, and brought his expertise. Um, and so I'll leave it to Zach to, to bring us up to, up to date on multi-team solutions and the work we do. That is a life's work, you know, in terms of that body, you know, um, a, you know a 300 page manual on, on, on this area. And then of course, keeping it alive and not just alive, but then allowing it to be practically applied in organizations. I'm sure we're going to talk about it in a moment, but I just wanted to recognize that that is an incredible kind of feat to, to do that kind of work at those levels, you know, at, at the governmental level, at the policy level, because sometimes that's the thing that's difficult to actually uh, get on side in terms of support and help. So, okay, we've got one half of the story. Zach, tell us a little bit about yourself, please. I, I appreciate that. Yeah, the, the the work that I've gotten to experience through Daniel and and spending that much more time with that social maturity handbook, like it really is. It's a it's a story worth exploring. Um, so I, I you know Daniel gave you a little bit of background as to how he and I um, got to sync up, but prior to that, like my background in team dynamics and people development really started. You know, I could market it like you know two thousand and one with my first job as a summer camp counselor. Because at that point, you really start learning about how people interact. And whether you were dealing with children and adolescent age, you're dealing with young adults, you're dealing with, you know, um, adults and cyber professionals. I mean, there is a there is a basis to human psychology, which talks about like, well, how do we get along in groups? How do we meet? And what does it feel like when we meet people we don't know? And so that work has been like ingrained in me since I was a teenager. And so it's been 20 years that I've immersed myself in a variety of those getting to know you, how do we work together spaces. Um, and so it's that disparate, you know, set of experiences that come together that Daniel and I really found, you know, kinship and partnership in, which is taking our backgrounds for team dynamics, and then also the curriculum design is, as Daniel mentioned, and really like making it fun to get to know people. So it doesn't feel like it's a burden or it's stressful. Or I don't know how to do it. I don't know what the right lines are to say. Like we, we, we took a lot of that out by making it gamified, by having a curriculum to it. So I, I left that that nonprofit space. I was in nonprofit leadership for a long time and, and had a, a staff that I was developing and working with. And as I transitioned out of the nonprofit space through workforce development, I wanted to start something on my own. And I had just like taken that leap into entrepreneurship when I was running an event. I saw John Krasinski was doing um, uh, a prom for the 2020 um, students, high school students who weren't going to have prom. It was getting canceled. And I wanted to run something for camp staff because I knew summer camp was going to be canceled. So I ran Camp Appalooza um, and I said, hey, I want to do it again. And I said, is anybody interested? And Daniel and I were part of a professional forum together. And he reached out and said, I'm interested. And so as the story goes, it's like, well, what are you working on? Well, let's, let's, let's work on your thing. Your thing sounds interesting. We never did leader Palooza. We never did do a second camp of Palooza. So the reunion's coming. And for as disparate as, you know, Zach's and my journeys are, um, I was in the summer camp space as well until 2012 yeah. when I fully committed into this uh, government contract and, and PhD program. Um, and so that is what ultimately brought us back together 
um, is some of the the work that I give back to that camp community. Zach was, you know, deeply embedded in the camp community. Um, yeah. And and I do think, you know, we really bring a lot of that low resistance, high impact type of approach to the work we do um, is how do we, how do we get people engaged? It's it's about the humans. Um, and, and we say that the use of technology is a human task. So we've got to tap into the people side. And it just so happens that Zach and I were doing the people things before we did the cybersecurity thing. Um, and that, that's what makes it exciting to partner with the cybersecurity folks um, because of their expertise and what they need and the challenges they know they have, and then helping them develop and co-create solutions and co-create processes that will ultimately change the behavior of the individuals and the teams and the multi-team systems. I think this is a fascinating kind of combination and, and, and the fact that the genesis comes from, you know, this people focus in, in, in really different environments and then bringing that together with this academic benchmark. Shifting a little bit more to multi-team solutions and just getting a bit of a flavor and understanding of, of what have you actually created? What is its mission? What is, it, what is the problem that it is solving in organizations? Could you help us out um, and, and really tell us um, that, you know, when you've got this unique combination of um, this psychology, this... Um, uh, this understanding of organizational structure and design and process, what what comes out of that, and how are you applying it in the in the, in the cyber world through this organization? I, w- I want to start with our mission before we get to the the training stuff that w- that we've developed. What our what our mission is is to create psychological safety within cybersecurity ecosystems. Zach, I'll actually let you take the the psych safety piece because I, I think you speak more eloquently about it. Oh gosh. Pressure's on. When we are looking to support an operation, you know, the key or the cornerstone of psychological safety is that individuals feel comfortable to speak up, um, share their opinion, their perspective without a fear of retribution, without feeling like this idea is bad and I will be punished for sharing it. In organizations that feel like speaking up is uh, a risk um, and a risk not worth taking, you limit creativity. Um, you certainly limit collaboration. And when you limit creativity and collaboration, you limit one's ability to solve problems dynamically. Um, and in an environment such as cybersecurity, that is a non-negotiable. You need to be able to solve dynamic problems in a dynamic way. Static solutions are, are, are not present because there are no static problems. That's like what the training really seeks to develop is to give people an opportunity to share things in a way that they haven't done so before. And so when Daniel talks about context independence in the curriculum, what we're talking about is that the work that we're doing is about the work you do, but it doesn't feel like it's the work you do. So instead of solving problem X, we are inserting problem Y, but problem Y feels playful. But the process for solving problem Y is the same as solving your real world problem, problem X. And so that's how we're practicing. As Daniel will describe, I I imagine I'm I'm taking some of his buzzwords, but it's a sandbox. Um, And so we create a sandbox for psychological safety where it's okay to share your silly. It's okay to share your serious concern. um, It's okay for there to be some healthy tension and learn conflict resolution um, because this is the place where you practice so that when you are in that fast-paced, dynamic, and consequential environment, it's not the first time you've seen it. In the context of CybeSafe's work and, you know, how to create that culture and that, that compliance um, and also, you know, reduce that risk, we really think about it as how do we get everybody in an organization connected so that it's not just punitive, you know, repercussions when people make a mistake when they click on the wrong link. Um, that it actually feels like, oh, we're in this together. 
this happened and both sides of the organization, the cyber professionals and the non-cyber professionals feel psychologically safe to talk about it and to understand that we're in this together. You know, Zach mentioned taking risks and taking risks also means that you're going to have errors, that you're going to have mistakes. And so, you know, feeling open to saying, hey, I clicked on this or I, you know, gave out this information, you know, we got to work together. And instead of people rolling their eyes and pointing fingers and creating blame, our job is to come into an organization and create connectivity, to create togetherness, to create that sense of community that Zach and I both know so well from the summer camp world, um, where when one thing happens to a person, it happens to everyone. And that goes for the challenges and the the failures, the errors. It also goes for the successes. You know, one thing Zach and I know from our work in with many cybersecurity organizations at the government and private sector is that we don't do enough of the celebrating. We're, we're always serious. We're always head down, hoping that we don't make a mistake and living in fear rather than living in abundance, right? And knowing that, hey, we're in this together, living in support that when something happens, that's happening to all of us and we're going to navigate it together. I mean, honestly, we, I've got so many questions just off the back of, of, of listening to that, that I'm, I'm, I'm worried. I'm, 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 I'm literally overexcited here. So, but let me, let me pause for a minute and just reflect on what you just said there, which is this idea that a lot of security context, and, and I use context, you know, carefully in front of you two, <laughs> is, 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 is really, you know, you are aware of the security team when something goes wrong, right? <laughs> like most times and in most organizations, when it's working as it should, nobody's thinking about it. Nobody's wondering what the program is, et cetera. But the moment that something goes wrong, um, that's when, you know, there's a lot of pressure and a lot of more than a lot of communication from the security organization. And I think you're exactly right, which is we're not celebrating the non-incidents, right? We, we only ever really punish and make a lot of noise about the incidents when they occur and when things go south. But actually, there's a lot of good stuff that's going on. There's a lot of people that are becoming more resilient in terms of their security culture and posture. People are becoming more confident. People are becoming more engaged. But there isn't always a culture of celebration around those milestones in organizations. And, and then there's a lot of, shall I, dare I say, um, retribution for when things go wrong. Is that, is that what you guys are seeing and, and part of what your, your, your you know, kind of important work is observing? Yeah. And the, the fact that we're not investing up front in the connections between people so that they have positive experiences and positive interactions is a real barrier to, to the reactive state. Um, so taking that proactive approach, Zach and I have come to say that teams that work together get to play together. Before they have to do the hard work together, let's get them into a positive state. Let's get them talking, knowing each other, building empathy. Um, we have a kind of a, an assessment model around social maturity, which is what the the original government research was on. And in colloquial terms, we say, you know, first of all, can you be in the same room as the people you're going to be working with in crisis? Uh, secondly, can you communicate with them? And thirdly, can you collaborate with them, right? And so if you go up that scale of, of maturity, social maturity, then you're really getting at how prepared are we for when the crisis hits, for when the incident happens. And we know that it's inevitable. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And so the more that we can get people in connection, the cyber and the non-cyber professionals, and celebrate the victories and create empathy and shared understanding, shared language, shared mindset. These are the things that, that Zach and I bring into the room. And we take teams through a process. Training is an event. Development is a process. And behavioral change, building new habits, new ways of operating, that's a process. That's development. What we do is we, we first, 
and Zach can speak more to this part, we raise awareness. What are the challenges? What are the barriers? Why is it when we hit a crisis that we feel so much tension and stress and we start laying blame on other people? Why is that? Let's talk about it now while we're in the calm state before we get to the crisis state. So we take people, I'll give you an example, the, the first three workshops of our series of, of trainings. Uh, in the first workshop, you're starting up a new startup company. You play a word game, you generate a list of words, you come up with a company, you merge with another company in your cohort. And as Zach said, those aren't work tasks. You're not typically innovating and being an entrepreneur in your general day-to-day -day work, but the processes you're going through are, right? Creating a shared expectation and goals that, that you're working toward as you build this company, coming up with a team charter, understanding what are the priorities that each of us have and how are we going to bring those priorities to fruition. Those are work processes that we put into the gamified sandbox. So when I think about, you know, security organizations and I think about the motivations that drive, you know, strategy within organizations, for example, you know, compliance is very important, probably the most important thing right now. And because many organizations, particularly in regulated settings, have been driven by a compliance agenda, this part has been left out. Because if you, if you do the bare minimum, or you know, I'm being facetious perhaps by saying the bare minimum, but if you do certain things and you don't address these dynamics that you're describing, and you still get to tick the box, organizations kind of seem to jog on and, 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 and carry on because they've met that standard or that threshold. And, and I guess I'm wondering, how does that change? How do, we, how do we, in the work that you do, how do you help organizations to understand it's not enough to just have compliance as a strategy? You've got to go deeper into, into some of these, these dynamics and, and these positive relationships that you're talking about. Yeah, look, Munya, the, the, from the people side of organizational functioning and effectiveness, the, the audits don't include how quickly you're losing people, where, where are your rock stars getting burnt out, how is some of that turning into resentment? How is it driving insider threat, right? So, so there's just so much that is unmeasured and is not required by compliance audits um, that the impetus to do this work requires visionary leaders. It requires people who understand that the, the competitive advantage within your organization, as well as the, the compliance threshold, is driven by human behavior. Um, and it's driven by the people in your organization. Um, and so, yeah, we've, we've created, and I say we as the industry, we've created a check the box mentality that doesn't focus on the, the one thing that can't be purchased, right? Which is not the technology and it's not the safeguards and it's not the firewalls, it's the people, you know? And how do you measure the, the cost of that? Well, the, the magnitude of it is almost too great to measure and it's too demoralizing to think about how many people you're losing and how few people you're able to replace and the organizational institutional memory and, and so forth. So from my perspective, and, and Zach, I want you to, to jump in on this as well, of like what's missing. To me, that's, that's where we're missing the, the mark. You, you're saying this takes visionary leadership. And when I hear that, I also think this takes resources, right? You know, a lot of the organizations that need to have, you know, you know more better hygiene as it pertains to the human aspect of cyber risk or that need people to, you know, behave better as it pertains to their relationship with, you know, their digital world, you know, are not security companies. You know, these are, these are banks and schools and hospitals and pharmaceutical companies. So their core business is really far away from the kind of core work of keeping the organization secure. How do you help organizations to make this a priority when recognize that the security team is really a small part of of these organizations, and yet it is a critical part that 
you know, if it is not given, you know, careful attention, you know, the organization may not achieve its strategic objectives as a bank or as a pharmaceutical company or as a school. How do you, how do you manage that or help organizations, you know, navigate that issue? We hear you, but, you know, we've got day jobs and things we got to get on with. Wow, Munya, that's such a great and loaded question. First of all, I'll just double click on something you shared, which is it, it doesn't require more resources. It requires a reallocation of resources proactively instead of reactively. So if you're creating connections within the organization between the cyber and non-cybersecurity professionals, you're you're simply saving money on the and and resources on the other end of having to retain people, hire new people, all the all the things I spoke to a minute ago. And so you're really just reallocating from the reactive to the proactive. That's the first step in terms of the value proposition and the business case for for organizational leaders. Um, but the other part of the the question that you're asking um, is how do you get people to understand that every organization is a cybersecurity organization? And that in order to do their work, cybersecurity, you know, is the foundation that that allows them to continue to operate at, at the state that they do. One path to that is helping cybersecurity folks become stronger storytellers. However, that path actually is has more resistance than the path that Zach and I take, which is getting people in connection, getting people to have a shared understanding. It, it's not just, hey, you need to understand what cybersecurity does so that, you know, the work works. It's also getting cyber to understand what the non-cyber professionals are doing so that they know what they're guarding and they understand the, the challenges that those people are facing. It, it's bringing people into that psychological safety together. Um, and, and the whole reason that we connected with CybeSafe and, you know, then got connected to you for, for this conversation is about this idea of bringing people together into workshops like ours, into those gamified, psychologically safe environments where you have leaders and you have frontline folks and you have cyber and you have non-cyber professionals getting to work together to build a shared understanding and to build that shared goal hierarchy because we're all working toward the same goal. And I, I've been bringing this up quite a bit because it just happened a few months ago that I, I'm from rural Illinois and there was a hospital that was hit with a ransomware attack. And they responded like a hospital. They tried to heal the wound. And, and meanwhile, the, the ransomware, you know, ended up running them bankrupt. They actually ended up closing. And, and that's a hospital. That's not a cybersecurity organization. What we need them to think, you know, in, in similar cases to think more strategically and proactively about is how can we respond like a cybersecurity organization so that we can continue to function as a hospital? To me, that that use case really emphasizes to the, really the framework that we want everyone to understand. But you can't tell hot people in a hospital that they're no longer a hospital, they're a cybersecurity organization. So we have to bring them into a space where everyone's motivated to work together. It's not easy work. I wanna I wanna be really clear. Like the work we do in the value proposition, it's messy. It's human-centric at its core. It never gets into technology. So it's just always human centric. And that makes it a process. And that makes it challenging. And that makes it daunting for a lot of organizational leaders to say, we're ready to do this work. It's getting people to understand how this work will help them long term and will help them be less reactive and more proactive. When we talk about motivation, intrinsic motivation, and really like it, it, you know, this is Daniel's actual area of expertise, you know, his PhD is in uh, intrinsic motivation. And the colloquial way in which we bring in like the, the science and the psychology of all that is the individual's 
confidence to perform work individually and comfort to do so at a high level as a team and feeling like I can work as well, if not better, with the people to the left and right of me as I can by myself. And currently, that's not, that's not the status quo. Um, there's an egocentrism inside of um, cybersecurity professionals, uh, which is not the same as egotistical. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about being individually minded, the idea that I am autonomous to solve problems on my own, and even the feeling of like, it is my task to solve this problem on my own. There are some people that got into this industry because they love solving puzzles and they love the challenge of doing that. But it also creates uh, its own workplace dynamic when everybody feels like I'm supposed to solve this by myself or the challenge of being like, it, this problem is not smarter than me. I can figure this out. But those, those interruptions, those hiccups, those ego moments um, do have an impact over time in the fluidity of problem solving. When the reality is that you might be better off passing this to somebody who understands that problem better than you do, which is not not admission of weakness. It is looking for our greatest strengths and our, our greatest strengths are together. I mean, I, 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 I actually I think of like Spartans as far as a historical reference, which is that that army of 300 works because they work as one. If anybody is out of place, that machine breaks down. And that mentality around like one of them is not weak, but all of them together is impenetrable. And, and really, like it seems to me a fitting parallel to cybersecurity. There's one thing I want to harken back to compliance within the industry. What came, came up for me was the idea of organizations that are living in a state of like death from a thousand paper cuts. And even in some respects, like the industry is suffering from the, de you know, from 999 paper cuts. And they're like one away from feeling some of the impacts that Daniel and I are, are you know, warning of and training to prevent. And so I have compassion for people and organizations that feel like, well, look, when my back's against the wall, I don't want to be told that I need to be more polite. I don't want to say that I need to like ask for my emergency services more pleasantly. And I appreciate like, Again, I have compassion for your perception. Your perception is reality. What I have less compassion for is an, an unwillingness to evolve your perspective, that your problem is how you see the problem. We were talking about this with, a, with an organization yesterday, and there's this sign that I saw. I was walking in like some you know, beachside town a bunch of years ago, and there was a sign in front of an ice cream shop that said, take a five-minute break. If you don't have time for a five-minute break, take a 10-minute break. And I actually think of that all the time when I think about the challenges that organizations are facing, where they say, like, we don't have time to invest in our people. I immediately think, like, then you are already late in the idea that you need to be investing in your people. You need to take care of your people. It's, it is an irreplaceable resource. And collaboration, while you can pay someone to stay in your organization to a point that has its own, its own mechanical failures as well, can't pay them enough to cooperate. It's just a different, it's a whole different part of the system. And that's why like extrinsic motivation will not collab, will not support you in collaboration. You need somebody with like, you know, Daniel's expertise in both cybersecurity and intrinsic motivation to understand that you cannot throw money at that problem. That's a different challenge. There's something that's striking me as I'm listening to this is, okay, I, I, I definitely, and I'm, you know, we are, we are sold out as CyberSafe for the idea that you've got to help people. The human aspect of cyber risk is something that we are obsessed about. We've got a full team of behavior scientists that run around with their conical flask thinking about this all, uh, all the time doing these experiments. But we get asked often, you know, uh, and, and I put this question to you both, 
how do you know when an organization is improving? How do you know when an organization is getting better? Uh, and, 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 and how do you demonstrate and evidence that back to an organization that, you know, took a risky journey to come on this um, adventure with you to get better and build strongest, you know, social networks within the organization? When they say, okay, we've been doing this for a while, or we've, you know, had you guys come in as experts, are we better? Are we worse? Let's <laughs> tell us, oh, how do we know? Um, what do you say to them? How do you feel right now? And how did you feel six months ago? That, I mean, that's part of it. Part of my training is in psychometrics and creating assessments and data analytics. Um, so we also have an assessment. Um, now, the assessment is complementary to the KPIs that an organization is looking to improve upon. In our work uh, in particular, uh, we measure people's perceptions. Uh, and we measure those perceptions around the teamwork behaviors that we identified in the research as the priority drivers of effective cybersecurity. Um, and when we bring in cyber and non-cyber professionals, we're looking at how they view each other. Because as Zach alluded to, we have to break down the, the barriers, which often are around fear, uncertainty, or unknowingness around what other people do. Um, and so we have, to, we have to measure the perceptions. Zach, you said it, I think. Perception is reality. That's where this gets you know, into the complementary stage of the, of the hard KPIs that an organization is, is looking to improve. Um, and so we support it with this perceptual assessment. Um, and there are five areas that, that we look at that kind of fall under this social maturity category, trust, adaptability, decision-making, problem-solving, communication. Now, when I say decision-making, I'm not talking about the effectiveness of the decisions. We're measuring the willingness of people to work together on making decisions and the trust they have in other people's decisions and how willing they are to support the outcomes of other decisions and how supported they feel by others in the outcomes of their own decisions. Um, and so those are the perceptual realities that we need to be measuring in order to understand. And the interesting thing that Zach and I see as we go through a process with an organization is that there's actually a calibration period. We originally, you know, we initially asked people, how do you perceive these areas? Then we train them, we raise their awareness, we put them through these exercises that are gamified, starting up a startup, hiring employees, planning a retreat for those employees, all these gamified experiences, and they become aware that, oh, no, 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 I, I actually don't rely on, you know, or trust or depend on these people in the way that I thought I did. And now I know what, what's possible. Now we've played in the sandbox and we've seen what it can feel like to trust and what it can feel like to be adaptive together. And so then we start to see some more of that linear growth. Um, but initially, there's an interesting calibration period because people don't know what they don't know. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And um, I, I'm still moved by your story about, about the hospital. I, I think that is something that's going to be a calling card uh, in this, which is, you know, had they responded as a cyber organization, they would have been able to continue operating as a hospital. To me, that is a powerful, powerful, powerful kind of statement there. And for all of our listeners that are in organizations that don't see themselves as security organizations are trying to continue with their core business. You know, this, this is very helpful. And, and, and this way of being able to make better decisions, build more trust, communicate more effectively, that's a way that we can get organizations to be more resilient and to have better security hygiene. I think, I think we're onto something um, at Mark Team Solutions. So let me finish with you. What advice are you giving to your security teams? Sometimes these guys are in the frozen middle uh, of organizations where they, they agree wholeheartedly with the kind of point of view that has been put forward by both of you, but they don't know how to get the executive team to, to buy into, to fund this initiative. 
what would you be saying to, to, to the security uh, teams and professionals that are desperate to actually integrate and, and, and really impact the organizations from a collaboration, communication, decision-making perspective? Yeah, Manya, what a what a hard question to end on, but an important one nonetheless. I mean, it's really a conversation starter, not closer. And and that that said, you know, I I think what it comes down to, it really does parlay some of what Daniel's describing in terms of you know KPIs inside of an organization. And when we're talking about you know turning heads, part of it's going to be the return on investment conversation. Some of it can be those talking points that Daniel, you know, and I have been speaking about. You know, the use of technology as a human task, uh, development as a process. You know, these are all the things that like we speak about. But when it comes to getting higher ups to understand the value of the work, it's that there is a bit of fud. There's a bit of that fear, uncertainty, and doubt that really does like support the understanding that this work is no longer a nicety. It is rapidly becoming a necessity. And there's a tipping point that like you can either be ahead of the curve or behind the curve. And what our challenge is, is to support leaders with understanding the, the ROI journey and also those factors inside of a culture that don't have KPIs, but influence everything that you do. Um, if you take a look at an organization's pillar values, you said, okay, show me the KPIs that you measure to show that your organization is, uh, you know, has a culture of X. Well, we're not necessarily like measuring our culture with KPIs. Well, then how do you know you have those 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 values? So like there there's there's an inherent contradiction. You can challenge that idea that if it doesn't have a KPI and you can't attach a numeral to the ROI, that it doesn't have value. And I think that ultimately breaks down what we're talking about is how do the challenge I think Daniel and I face is how do we provide a solution they know they want in a way that they can say yes to because time and money are barriers, but time and money are also, and I say this with love, they are also excuses when they need to be. If I don't understand what this work is, if I don't understand directly how it's going to work, then I can't say yes to it. I'll tell you right now, you don't stay ahead of the curve by understanding every step of the future. Sometimes you need to trust that there are some people who see an aspect, see an angle that will better you, and you don't need to understand the full landscape of that idea in order to take advantage and to benefit from it. It takes courage to try something new. We're, we, we show courage by, uh, by running the work, and those who work with us show courage by participating in it. It's not a full answer to your question, but uh, it's definitely a part of it. I think, and, and it's a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant aid, I think, to some of our listeners, because as you say, time and resources you know, can be an explanation, but oftentimes they are an excuse. And that is something that I think is going to be quite a bit of food for thought. I love this in the context of people that are working on sites together, in a building together, you know, physically seeing each other. But we live in a world where we're now more distributed than ever. We live in a world where, you know, you know we're collaborating from airports, cafes, from our, you know, you know spare bedroom. And, 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 and since the pandemic, you know, you know, the nature of work and the style of work has changed. I would really be fascinated to learn more about how you are executing this work in a hybrid environment and enabling organizations to continue to stay connected in the security sense, especially when you've got these people that are remote, hybrid, and no longer kind of meeting in the same way that they did in the past. But I won't preempt that. Uh, I'm preempting it, but I won't ask you to answer it right now. I'm going to tease our audience. I'll just say, look out. Look out. Yeah. Look out for part two. That'll be fun. 
<laughs> I agree. Um, listen, uh, to our listeners, my guests today have been Dr. Daniel Shaw and Zach Bloomfield. These guys are the co-founders at Multi Team Solutions, and I would like to thank them. Guys, thank you so much for, for what a wonderful um, conversation. I do genuinely look forward to the next one. Thank you for being on the show. Wonderful. Yeah, thanks, thanks Linia. We're, we're in gratitude for the opportunity. Cheers, gang. Thank you.